From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. We are starting a new series called First Things First. When I think about first things, I think of memorable things. I think of, I think of important things. We had a few firsts in our house this past couple weeks. Our oldest son, Eli, he's five years old, just graduated as much as you can graduate kindergarten. So he's moving on and, and that's, yeah, I guess you can clap for that. That's uh, something that we're, uh, we're, we're sad and excited about because as parents, you watch your children grow and you're like, I can't believe how fast it's happening. He also lost his first tooth two weeks ago and his second tooth the week after that. And then Emmy, our little baby who's eight months old, just waved for the first time this past week. So we had a lot of firsts. And, and I don't know about you, but firsts are pretty memorable. You know, your, your first day of school, very first day of school is a, a memorable, memorable day. Your first friend, your first time riding a bike without training wheels, which I'm trying to teach my son. It's proven to be very difficult to teach a kid to ride a bike. Who, who knew, right? Your first, your first um, road trip, your first time driving a car, your, your first date. Your first time falling in love. First time you say, I love you to somebody. Actually, my, my neighbor was just telling me that his little daughter, who's two-ish years old, just said, I love you, Daddy, for the first time. There's something about first, right? Your, your first job, first paycheck, your first house, your firstborn, even your first goodbye, even the tough ones. There's something about first that are memorable, that are important, that stick out to us. And so we're going to take a bit of a journey over the next five weeks looking at some firsts uh, that stick out in the Bible, more specifically some key texts that mention the word first. For instance, today, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or we love God because he first loved us. Or the first will be last and the last will be first. Or Jesus is the firstborn. Or the principle of first fruits. First fruits. These are some big firsts in the Bible, and we're going to look at them and hopefully learn to put first things first. How many of you guys have used that statement before, right? First things first, let me just have some coffee, right? <laughs> like, let me get the coffee. First things first, let's finish this meal. First things first, I'm a realist for all of you who are younger and, and catch that. It's for the younger generations. First things first, let's just get this job done, then we'll deal with that. It's a statement that we use generally when we want to tell somebody that this thing is the most important thing before other things. And Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, verse 33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and it will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and it will, all these other things will be given to you as well. This is our theme verse for the next five weeks as we learn to put first things first. I just want to pray one more time, and then we'll really get into this. Amen. Father God, we believe this morning as we seek to put you first, God, that you're going to move, that you're going to breathe, that you're going to speak. I pray that you'd speak to every single heart, every single mind this morning, Lord, that every single one of us would leave here changed by your presence, changed by your truth this morning in the name of Jesus. And as we look at the text this morning, I pray, Father God, that we wouldn't just be hearers, as James says, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we'd be doers of it. We'd actually put into practice the things that we hear this morning in the name of Jesus. God, I know I'm just thinking of being mindful of other needs that are here this morning as it comes to my mind. God, I pray, God, for those who are needy right now in the name of Jesus. First, we pray 
Lord, that you would just meet those needs. Before we even look at the word, would you just meet those needs? Would you touch and comfort by your presence? I believe in faith that you can do that, and we believe in faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. What is one of the first things you do when you get up in the morning? What is one of the first things that you do when you get up in the morning? Most of you are probably thinking finding and making coffee, right? Don't, don't speak to me. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't touch me until that miracle liquid is in my system, right? What is one of the first things that you do when you get up in the morning? Some of you crazies are probably thinking exercise, right? You are the crazy people. <laughs> I secretly want to be like you, but I have no drive, <laughs> But you're, but, but you're thinking, you know, first thing I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm running, I'm hitting the weights, you know, I'm thinking health, I'm just, that's what you're doing. Most of us are thinking, I'm going to use the bathroom or where's the coffee, but you're like downstairs or you're outside, right? What's one of the first things that you do when you get up? One of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is I take my, my dog for a walk, because if I don't take my dog for a walk, as tired and as groggy as I may be, my kid, before my kids get up, she's not getting a walk for the rest of the day. It's just, not, it's just not happening. So I make sure that I get out and I take her for a walk. And usually I'm in like in a, in a stupor, right? I'm in, a, and I'm in a zombie state as I'm walking her and there's someone running beside me. And you know, I'm like, hey, and I'm like, huh? And they're thinking health. And I'm thinking I'm not even awake yet. What is one of the first things you do when you get up? The first things we do are important. What we do first matters. Studies have been done on the first things people do. You've probably seen articles and blog posts of some sort about, you know, the, the high, most highly successful people, the things they do first in the morning, or the, the healthiest people on earth, the, the things that they put first, because there's something about firsts that are important, that are valuable, that actually impact the rest. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all the other things in life will be given to you as well. Seek first, because the first things are Important. This is a really uh, uh, famous text. You've probably heard it before. It was first preached by Jesus in his first, I'm using the word first a lot this morning. It's going to get in your brain. In his first formally recorded sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard of that? Sermon on the Mount? How many of you have heard this statement, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Raise your hand. You've heard that before. It's a famous text. It begins in, in Matthew chapter 5, this sermon by Jesus. And ends in Matthew chapter 7. And if, if you're thinking about what, it, what does it mean to live and breathe and do life as a Christian, then, then read this sermon, if anything. Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And at the end of this sermon, Jesus says something incredibly important and valuable, I think. He says, those who put all these things in the practice that I've just talked about are like wise builders who build their house on a solid foundation. Because when the storm of life comes and it shakes the house and the house will shake, the house will not crumble. But those who don't are foolish builders. Are foolish builders who build their house on a weak foundation. Because when the storm of life comes, the house will crumble. In other words, what I've just said, Jesus is saying, what I've just said is so important to the foundation of your life. And so this morning I pray that as we look at this text that we would actually put into practice because we can create a solid foundation in our lives by actually seeking first the kingdom of God. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting verse 25, we're going to read all the way to verse 34, and it, it may be on the screen there for you too. Therefore, 
Let me just pause. Whenever you see, you've heard this before, preachers say it all the time, whenever you see therefore in a text, you have to go back and look what it is there for, okay, which we're going to do. Therefore, he says, I tell you, do not worry. Look at somebody and say, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can any one of you? I'll just repeat that. By worrying, add a single hour to your life. This is Jesus talking, right? This is, this is not Paul. This is not one of the disciples. This is, this is the Son of God. This is God incarnate talking right now, okay? He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. That's important to know. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Catch this, verse 33. I've said it a few times already this morning. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He doesn't say seek last. When you've figured everything else out and the rest of your day is complete, you can seek God. When you've when you got enough energy, then you can seek God. He doesn't say, somewhere in the middle, after your coffee and work and chores and life and all the worrying that you do, seek. No, he says, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that I've just talked about will be given to you as well. Therefore, thus, in conclusion, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the truth, right? How many know that each day has got enough trouble? Jesus is a smart guy. Wow, that's a good message right there. We should just finish. Because I can't preach better than Jesus. And if I, if I think I can, I'm wrong. This section of the Sermon on the Mount is sandwiched between important topics like murder and adultery and fasting and prayer and love for enemies and judging and true and false prophets. And in the section right before, which is, is important to note, it's always important to note why things are there for, right? It's important to note the context of Scripture. Whenever you're reading the Bible, don't just take a verse and read it. Some, some things can mean one, one thing when taken out of context, but when we look at the context, we actually get the true meaning of the text. And so in the section right before, Jesus is actually talking about greed and materialism. If you've read it before, he's talking about storing up for yourself treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. Right? He's talking about the love of, of money and the desire for more money. He says that you can't serve God and money. You can't. And if you don't like that, you can take it up with Jesus because he said that. And then he ties that section to this topic. You see it in the words, therefore, do not worry. Therefore, do not worry. He's tying the previous section on greed and materialism with this section on worrying and seeking God. You see, worrying is distrust. This is going to be a hard one this morning. Worrying is distrust. It's an antonym of faith. Faith is trust. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
People were healed by Jesus when they walked this earth, when Jesus walked this earth because of their confidence and what they hoped for from him and their assurance that he could heal them. Abraham and, and Elisha and Isaiah followed the call of God on their lives because they had confidence and they had assurance in what they did not see that God would provide. Moses stood before Pharaoh, who was a giant, a national giant. David stood before a physical giant because they had confidence and they had assurance. They had faith. They had faith in God to be with them. If faith is trust, worry is distrust. Worry is distrusting that your needs will be provided for. I worry because I don't trust. So when Jesus ties greed and materialism to this statement, therefore do not worry, he's revealing that the root cause of greed and materialism is worrying that your needs will not be provided for or an excessive care about the things of life. And the thing with greed is when, when greed is not met, when our, when, our, when our desire for something is unmet, we can become envious, right? Envious is, is desiring a resentful desire of something possessed by someone else. And usually the most envious people are those that desire the things of life the most, and they're just not getting them. And that's predicated, if we're looking at this text, on a distrust that their needs will be provided for. You see the, you see the pattern? You see the pattern? So Jesus enters this passage saying, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you drink, or about your body, what you will wear, because what it means and what it leads to is ungodly. So let me just pause for a moment. We all worry, right? We all do. I worry. I worry about the bills. Groceries are expensive, and they're getting more and more expensive. My five-year-old can almost out-eat me, and it's scary because he's five. What's it going to be like when he's 15, <laughs> right? Like, seriously, and he just wants more and more. I'm, and my parents used to say this all to me, to me when I was a kid all the time. Do you have hollow legs? Like, where does it all go? And I'm, I'm like, it's like, where does it go? There's no room. You're only like four foot tall. How does it even happen? Bills, I'm, I worry about bills. We worry about kids, right? We worry about job. We worry about finances. We worry about health. We worry about our future. We are people who worry. We expel energy on worry. Minutes. In hours and days, we give time to worry. It monopolizes our thoughts. Worry. But the problem is worry doesn't help. Who by worrying can add an hour to his life, Jesus says. Now listen, it's not wrong to care about life, right? The Bible speaks to, to working and providing and, and care and not being idle and lazy. But worrying is something more. The definition of worrying is, is, is allowing your mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles that leads to unease and anxiety. So what do you worry about? Just think about that for a second. What do you worry about? What are the things that you worry about on a daily basis or weekly basis? What do you worry about? Do not worry, Jesus says. Do not worry because your worry does not help the situation. It could be a really difficult situation. It could be a thing that you need to be caring about, that you need to be putting attention to, but worrying, right, excessive um, thoughts on the difficulty or the trouble that leads to unease and anxiety does not help the situation. Do not worry, Jesus says. And then he goes through a few rhetorical questions that ultimately points us to the Father, right, the good Father. He doesn't provide a solution. He, prov he points us to the creator and sustainer of life. He says this, look at the birds in the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. They don't work for a living, right? They don't have a bank account. They don't, they don't manage their money well. They don't do any of that, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And he says this, see the flowers of the field. They do not labor or spin. They don't, they don't go shopping for clothes, right? They don't, they don't think about that. They don't worry about, they don't even, not even worry. Some of you, like, maybe you're in, like, nursing or something. You wear the same thing every day. You have a uniform. They don't even do that. And he says, if God, if that is how God clothes the, the grass of the field, the splendor of them, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? His answer to our worry his answer to our worry is a question on our perspective of the Father's provision. His answer to our worry is a question on our perspective of the Father's provision. Do you believe that the Father will provide? Do you trust him, he's saying? Because your worry says you don't. Right, which is sobering for me. <laughs> like super sobering, because I usually don't connect the two in the moment. I'm usually just in the moment. But if I actually sat back and paused and thought about what, what is my worry saying right now? What is my worry saying right now? He says, look to the birds. Look at inferior life forms. My, my son, um, the other day, I talk a lot about my son because his, his life is funny when you have this five-year-old kid. And he really wanted to trap a bird the other day. And so he was outside with a container and some bird seed just walking around like looking for a bird. And I'm like, I'm like, like literally just wandering the yard for a bird. I'm like, and we have no birds in our area because there's no mature trees, right? There's not even grass on the ground right now. And I'm like, buddy, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Let me show you something. So I showed him the typical like container propped up with a stick, you know, and then he put the bird seed on the ground and then, you know, if, and I showed him how it worked. I showed him, well, this is what will happen. If something comes in, it will trip the stick and the container will close. And the most sinister laugh came out of his body. Like, <laughs> he was just like, whoa. It was just, it was, it was funny. And then he goes outside and, and he tries it and you see him like setting it up somewhere and he's standing like a foot away. I'm like, I'm, and he comes back in all dis distraught, right? Because it's not working. You're not going to catch a bird. I'm like, buddy, why do you want to catch a bird so bad? He's like, well, I, I want a pet. I'm like, well, I'm like, where are you going to keep it? He's like, in the container. I'm like, it's going to die. You keep it in the container. He's like, well, bring it in the house. I'm like, you are not bringing it in the house. And that was not the answer he was looking for. And we had a Mach 5 meltdown. But after he calmed, I said, listen, how about we do this instead? Let's, let's, let's make a birdhouse and let's put some bird seed in it and we'll sit it on the deck and then when the birds need some food they can come in and they can eat the, the bird seed and then they can go they'll be provided for and so the next morning we did this we like i quickly got wood and just quickly snapped it together right anything to just make this five-year-old calm down um, put it together put some bird seed in the next day he's eating breakfast and he looks out the window and there's a bird in the in the in the birdhouse and he's like daddy look there's a bird and he was in his glory and jesus says this if the Father will provide for inferior life forms, if the Father will provide for inferior life forms, how much more will he provide for you his crown of creation? The birds. When Jesus asks these rhetorical questions, it's as if he's saying, our worry about the things of life is connected to a distrust in the Father's ability or desire to provide. Catch this, creation is a pledge of preservation, right? The one who gave life will sustain life until he calls it home. The one who gave life will sustain it until he calls it home. It may not be the life you want. It may not be the provision you want. 
But he who made the body will not deny it the necessities it needs. Do not worry. It's not going to solve the problem. Can you, he says, any one of you, by adding, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? It doesn't give you more time. It actually robs you of your time. It robs you of time that you could do or put towards something more productive or life-producing, like seeking God, which we'll get at in a second. That's the amount of time we spend in worry. I wonder if we could add that up, how much time we spend worrying, how much time spent in our lifetimes have we spent on worrying, that we could, we could put towards seeking God. What would our lives look like? How, what would be the difference, right? If, if, if the, the, the amount of time we give, the amount of attention we give, not to, not to concern, right, but to worrying, what would that, our lives look like if we, just, if we chose to use that more productively? More productively. It steals joy. Worry steals joy. It robs you of the peace that's in your life. It, it destroys your health. Because worry actually leads to stress. Stress? Stress. <laughs> I'm worried about what I'm saying right now. It leads to stress. And stress is actually harmful for you physically and emotionally. When I was thinking about this, the scripture says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and this is just me. So worry is of the enemy. Because who else comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Worry steals, kills, and destroys. The enemy steals, kills, and destroys. The enemy does. And then Jesus gives us a couple statements, a couple reasons why we shouldn't worry. The first is this. Jesus actually connects worry to paganism. He connects worry to paganism. He says this. He says, the pagans run after these things. Now, paganism is a term used uh, for a number of, of spiritual and religious beliefs, and anyone who follows these beliefs is known as a pagan. And so the pagans, they, they formed basically a, an idea about their gods, that their gods could not be trusted, that they couldn't have trust in their gods. They couldn't have trust in their gods at all. But their gods didn't, their gods didn't look at them with care and compassion, but actually dread. It was like, to them, their God was like, you're a waste of my time. And so f- for, for them, they dedicated their lives, to, to devo- devoted their lives to the necessities of life, like food and drink. Because a life beyond this life was gloomy. A life beyond life on earth was gloomy. It was, it was not something that you wanted, and so they just lived for the now. They just live for now. And so those, uh, those pagans, those who followed those belief systems, if they, those who had much, they wanted more. And those who had little worried about when their resources would be depleted. The pagans run after these things, he says. The ungodly, because of a belief about their gods, they run after these things. Because they don't believe that their gods will have a care and compassion. That when they, when they reach the end of their resources, that they will provide for them. So they run after these things. They chase after these things. The ungodly worry because in their mind, they don't have a heavenly father who provides for them. They don't have a God who looks at them with care and compassion. They don't have a God who loves them enough to send his son to die for them. Ultimate provision. They don't have that. In other words, and this is strong language, worry is ungodly. Worry is ungodly. It's, it's worldly. It's functional atheism. We say, I trust, and I have faith, and I believe, but then we go about our day worrying. That is atheism. That is paganism. I know. Listen, I live my life that way, too. I'm with you on this, right? Because we live our lives like this. We live our lives worrying. Do not worry, Jesus says. But we worry as if we don't have a creator and a sustainer and a caring good father. We talked about this in our last years, watching over us. 
We live as if we don't have a God that we belong to. Listen, if you are a believer, if you are, if you are a person who has dedicated your lives, who has is, who is, who is asked Jesus to come into your life, you belong to the fold of God. You belong to the family of God. You have the provision of the creator in, uh, for your life. So you do not need to live your life as if there's a God who does not provide. Yet we do that. We live our lives that way, which leads to the second reason that he gives. He says, your heavenly father knows you need them. He knows your needs. He knows that you need to eat because he made your body that way. He knows that you live in a society where, where money is the mode of, of commodity and that you need it in order to survive. He knows that you need clothes. And did you know that he was the first one to clothe Adam and Eve? When they were naked in the garden and they sinned and they realized they're naked, they're like, shoot, they went and hid behind some bushes. And he was the one that clothed them. They didn't go make and sew their own stuff. Jesus did. Read about it. God did. He, he knows you need clothes. He knows your need. He knows you need to pay the bills. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. Listen, it didn't, like, it's not like it didn't occur to him that you need these things because nothing occurs to God. He knows everything. He knows that you need the necessities, and he's the provider. The Bible says this, that he will meet our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. This is not prosperity gospel. This does not mean that everything's going to be A-OK -okay all the time. This does not mean that health and wealth are coming your way. If you look at the scriptures, the scripture talk a lot about suffering. James talks a lot about suffering. The New Testament, Paul talks a lot. In fact, Paul actually connects suffering to, to Christ-likeness, right? But what it means is that we have a father who knows our needs that will provide for us in due time. It may not be what we want, but it will be what we need. See, as believers... Worry is the absence of active faith in our life. It's the absence of active faith in our life. We worry because we don't seek God first. We seek God after we worry. Faith becomes active in our lives when we're actively engaged in our relationship with Jesus, when we're actively seeking because when we're actively seeking Jesus, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day in our lives, the, the burdens of our life are lifted, the, our spirits are relieved, and worry has no room, but we have it backwards. We don't seek God first, we seek him after, which is not bad, because he's a good father, and he'll care for you, and he'll provide for you, and he'll come through. I was talking to someone this week about, about the provision that God was providing in different ways. He's a good father. But when we, but when we seek him after, we're given room to worry. But if we seek him first, what happens is, is we, there's no room for worry. Worry exists in our lives because we're not putting first things first. See the tie in there? We're not putting first things first. So what do we do? Because it's easy to say, do not worry. But Jesus said that. Pastor Carl, it's really easy for you to say, do not, do not worry from the stage. Hey, I'm just quoting Jesus. <laughs> so you can take it up with him. But what do we do? Very practical, very easy, very hard to put into practice. We seek God first. We, we put first things first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What would it look like if in the morning every day we took a moment to pause and just engage in the presence of God? Say, God, I need you today. I give you this day. What would it look like? What would it look like if every single day we actively and intentionally prayed for his presence to lead us and guide us? 
before the troubles of, of the day came, before we were confronted with the situations and circumstances, if we just paused and said, God, I give you this day. Guide me and lead me. doesn't need to be fancy. doesn't need to be like, like crazy and, you know, parting the, the heavens and let's tear out the ceiling. Let's just, but like actively, I'm choosing this morning to engage the presence of God. It's going into battle with a sharpened sword. You don't go into battle and realize, oh, shoot, my sword is not sharp. Or I have no bullets in my gun. But that's how we do it with worry. Because all of a sudden worry hits and we're like, shoot, I don't have a sharpened sword. Or I have no bullets in my gun. But no, we say, okay, I know that life has enough trouble because Jesus said it. And I've been around long enough. Even if I've been around for five, my five-year-old knows that there's trouble in life. I know that enough. So I'm just going to engage in the presence of God this morning. I'm just going to engage in the presence of God. And what would it look like? What would your life look like? How would that situation you're facing look like? How would you react to that things if you just chose every single day to say, hey, God, I need you today. I don't even know what today is going to bring, but I need you. I need your presence. I need to actively and intentionally engage. Seek first the things of God and his righteousness. And the things of life that we concern ourselves with will be given to us as well. Seek first his presence and his rule and his reign. And seek first his godliness and his holiness and his sanctification. Give time and thought and energy to his kingdom first. Not third, not second, right? Not after, but first. And your mind and your heart will not have enough room for worry. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, first thing, put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both the first and second things. Have you ever noticed that? That when you, when you begin to worry, there's a, there's a situation, there's something that you're concerned about, and it, and it turns into worry, that all of a sudden God kind of just gets pushed out of the equation because you're monopolized by this thing? You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Just, just pause and think about that for a second. Think about a situation that you excessively worried about. I could ask the question, where's God in that situation? You don't even have enough room for God anymore because there's so much worry. But if we put first things first, if we seek God first, the other thing gets sorted out. But if we put the other things first, God gets thrown out of the, with the bathwater, right? It's like the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. Put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. When we seek first the kingdom of God, the other things follow. And when the other things come, they won't be accompanied by worry and anxiety. So when you get that bill in the mail, when you see your bank account and it's, and it's an overdraft, you get that report from the doctor. You hear the news from your child. What do you do? You're better prepared. And if you seek first, even when that thing comes, you may, which I do, you may gravitate towards worry, but then we can pause because we've already started our day with seeking God. We've already started with seeking God. So I can pause and be like, wait a second, okay, we need, just need to pray right now. Because I can spend the next even four minutes, random number, worrying, or I could speak the next four minutes in prayer. That doesn't mean you can't have a discussion with your spouse or loved one about the situation. It doesn't mean you need to put a plan in place and figure it out. I'm not saying that. I'm saying is God in the equation. And you could put him in after, but you're still going to worry. And he still might provide. I've seen it happen. But if we put him first, there's no room for worry. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. 
you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.